0: Well good morning. Uh, I am Steve Coleman. I'm a member of the teaching team here at New Hope Chapel, and uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis 28. We're continuing a narrative um, in Genesis about the patriarchs of the Bible: Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, through whom God preserved the line of the Messiah. So Genesis 28 was actually uh, talked about last week, but we're going to quickly get up to speed, get some background. For Genesis 29. We left off last week with Jacob who had purchased the birthright from Esau and also had just received his father's blessing, the blessing normally that would go to the firstborn. A furious Esau was plotting Jacob's murder once Esau had died. He was no longer around. So Rachel sees to it that Israel sends Jacob away to preserve his life. So we read in chapter 28. So Isaac called for Jacob and commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padan Aram, the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. You may not remember Bethuel. He was mentioned in Genesis 11. What's the significance Bethuel? Well, let's go back for a minute to Abraham to make connections. Abraham came from Ur, probably down there at the, at the top of the Persian Gulf. His father and the rest of the family moved up the, the Fertile Crescent. You may remember that from high school, but the Fertile Crescent defined by the two rivers coming up out of Babylon, the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers. Uh, they moved, anyway, they moved up that Fertile Crescent uh, and settled in Padan Aram. Because of the promise and calling of God, Abraham and Sarah, with Lot, left the rest of the family in Padan Aram and traveled to Canaan. Now, when Abraham needed to find a wife for Isaac, where did he send that servant to find a wife? He sent the ser- servant back to the place where his family had settled, where his relatives were in Paddan Aram. Once there, the Lord directed the servant to Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, who was the son of Nahor, Abraham's brother. So, Rebekah is Abraham's great-niece, and she was the one. So there's the connection between Abraham, Nahor, Bethuel, Rebekah, and then, of course, Laban, who figures very prominently in our story today. So now, with his brother planning his demise, Jacob is traveling to the same place, Bethuel's house to see Laban, Rebecca's brother. The trip was about 550 miles from the southern part of Israel, north through modern Lebanon, Syria, and then even into southern Turkey. And he made the trip, at least what I can tell from the Bible, without GPS or Google Maps. You have to believe there are travel skills we in the 21st century have lost. Early in this trip, Jacob had a dream in which God promises him several things. Julie covered these in detail last week. Uh, they're important to remember because God's working behind the scenes in this account of Jacob's life when he's in Paddan Aram. And these promises figure very uh, prominently in that. Uh, even if it's God working behind the scenes, we can see his fingerprint through the whole thing. Well, let's begin, this is the beginning of 20 long years during which Jacob will live with conflict going on around him all the time as he lived there with Laban, uh, marries, and has a family and works. He needed God's promises desperately, God's promises to be with him, to watch over him, and to bring him back to the land safely. There are three sections this difficult experience that Jacob's, that we're going to try to condense down and sort of cram in to our short time together. And uh, so we're just going to break them down in a logical fashion, the way they appear, Uh, Jacob's family, Jacob's prosperity, and then Jacob's return to Canaan. So first, let's look at Jacob's family. So Jacob's there a month, and then Laban said to Jacob, because you're my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be. Now Laban had two daughters, the name of the older was Leah, the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you 7 years for your younger daughter Rachel. Laban said, is it better that I give her it is better that I give her to you than to give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served 7 years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. Terrific start. Wonderful love story. But the fact that Laban characterizes Jacob's work as service raises some concerns off the bat. Ideally, a relative shouldn't be put in a service position. He or she should be brought along as kind of a son or daughter. They should be assisted uh, to get them on their feet and sort of help them establish themselves. Laban will reveal himself in these chapters to be a person who works things around for his benefit in every situation. He doesn't have the generosity of spirit, of heart, to uh, work on Jacob's behalf. We'll see that even more as we go along. You know the phrase, Leah's eyes were weak. You know Nobody knows what this means. So, we don't know. But it's clear that somehow she was appeared less desirable to Jacob, and that Jacob loved Rachel. They seemed like a few days because of his love. That's just the greatest part of this story, because it really sets us up to sympathize with Jacob in his agony when he discovers Laban pulls the rug out from under him, and on his wedding night switches daughters on him. Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, and wakes up in the morning after the wedding to discover he's married to Leah. Unbelievable. Laban's reason for the switch was that their local customs did not allow a younger daughter to be married before an older one. Heartless. Even more so, Jacob is, now has to work another seven years for Rachel. The text indicates that he got to marry Ma- Rachel right away. He just had to work seven more years after working for no wages other than paying for his bride. Seven more of those years where he was working as a servant, not storing up anything. The Bible doesn't tell us how long these years seemed to Jacob. Probably longer than a few days. But it sets the tone for Jacob. His years with Laban are not going to be easy. You know, I've had the honor of attending uh, two Jewish weddings and uh, they they have some interesting traditions. Before the ceremony at one in particular, we were all ushered into the room next door to where the wedding was being held and the bride and groom signed the customary Jewish marriage contract. While they were doing so, the rabbi pointed out that this was also the time the groom got to inspect his bride to make sure she was the correct one based on this incident in the patriarch Jacob's life. (laughs) It all sounds funny, but to Jacob, it was a tragic reality. Laban stole seven years of work from him and forced him into a marriage he didn't want. Well, having gotten married to the girl he loved, Jacob's growing family is described in the next section. Laban gave his daughter, Rachel, as his wife. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and indeed, he loved Rachel more than Leah. Now, the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. And he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah conceived and bore a son, and named him him Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Sad, isn't that? She goes on to have four more children, and each sort of has this flavor to their name. Uh, Her second, Simeon, she says, now, this time, my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him. Oh, that's not Simeon, that's Levi, sorry. Because the Lord heard that I'm unloved, therefore, he's given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. She conceived again and said, Now my husband will be attached to me. And it was Levi. So there's this sort of um, calling children names in a way that, that sort of uh, was expressing the hurt on her heart for not being loved. Note that, that Leah was unloved by Jacob, and that struck deeply in her, but God noticed. So you see, no matter what, and things are tried, as the passage goes on, to create fertility. They try some, um, some superstitious techniques. But you know, God is the one that, who determines children. And God noticed Leah and gave her these four. So we have Jacob married to both Leah and Rachel, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. You can already recognize that we're talking about the 12 tribes of Israel. This is where they start. Well, Rachel is jealous and angry, and she takes it out on Jacob. We read, she says, give me children or else I die. Jacob's like, what, me? Am I in the place of God who has withheld children from you? So it looks like the honeymoon apparently is over. Two more children are born to Jacob, but they're not by Leah. Rachel's jealousy is strong enough for her to have her handmaid, Bilhah, bear children in her name, much like a surrogate situation, like Sarah did getting Abraham to have Ishmael with Hagar. It's sad, really. Given, give a listen to the names Rachel gives to these children. When Dan was born, she said, God has vindicated me. And his name is, he has vindicated. Naphtali, she said, I have had a great struggle with my sister and won. My struggle is what Naphtali means. Imagine growing up. Hi, I'm my struggle. (laughs) My mom named me that because she was like really torqued off at these other four boys. (laughs) And then their mother. It it, uh, was just a bad place to grow up. No marital bliss for anybody in this situation. And a toxic home environment to some degree at least. Uh, But for Jacob, coming home from a long day at work dealing with Laban, there's conflict everywhere in his life. He's got problems. He's got pressures. Moving on. Leah was not to be outdone. She used her handmaiden, Zilpah, as a surrogate also. So Gad... She had Gad and Asher. Gad means what good fortune? And then Asher. The women will call me happy. Happy. So things are (laughs) things are getting tenser. Uh, Leah and and to make it worse for Rachel, Leah now has three more children. Uh, One is Zebulun. She said, Now my husband will treat me with honor everything probably means honor, although we don't have a real good connection historically there. Do you see how she is still chasing significance and trying to overcome the fact that she doesn't feel loved by her husband? So lots of tragedy still going on in this story of Jacob. Seems like he can't get away from tragedy, and it seems like the people around him can't get away from tragedy. Well, God remembered Rachel. She'd been crushed in this contest with Leah in the the effort to be a better mother than the other. But God remembered her and gave her a son. She had the son, Joseph. God has taken away my disgrace. May he add another son, is what Jacob means. Joseph means, I'm sorry. May he add another son. And God does add another son, Benjamin. But not up in Padan Aram. Benjamin is born once uh, Jacob and his clan are down in Canaan again. Once Joseph's born, Jacob announced that he wanted to take his family and leave and go back to Canaan. Laban objected and encouraged Jacob to make a deal on wages. This apparently happens at the end of 14 years, in which Jacob has worked for no salary, no recompense, no compensation, except the two wives that he has. So Laban says, "'What shall I give you?' And Jacob said, "'You shall not give me anything.'" Interesting way to start negotiations. "'If you will do this one thing for me, I will again pasture and keep your flock. Let me pass through your entire flock today, removing from there every speckled and spotted sheep and every black one among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats.'" and such shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. When you come concerning my wages, everyone that is not speckled, spotted, among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, will be considered stolen. Laban said, good, let it be according to your word. So we're shifting now. We've talked about Jacob's family. Now we're getting into Jacob's prosperity because this deal goes on or a form of it, goes on for the next six years. The new deal was that Jacob was to be paid in livestock. The plan was Jacob is going to take what you can only presume is, is the minority of the sheep, the ones that are black or speckled, and he takes those, and that's his pay. The other ones, the white ones, are Laban's flock. And then Whatever lambs are born that are white, that's Laban's. Any that are born speckled or black would be Jacob's. And uh, this works out miraculously for Jacob. The flocks produce speckled and spotted animals in great numbers. So, as is unreasonable, Laban saw the flocks producing lambs and kids for Jacob. He wasn't content, and he changed the deal. He took the speckled, and he said, I'm taking the speckled and spotted lambs and goats for myself. And Jacob, you get the white ones. Well, of course, God then caused the flocks to produce only white offspring, and Jacob's herd increased. Of course, Laban changed the deal again and again. And again, we read ten times over six years. Laban changes the deal in order to come out ahead and Jacob to come out behind. But God watched out for Jacob. That second promise, I will uh, watch out for you. God watched out for Jacob, and Jacob became very prosperous. There came a time that God told Jacob to return to Canaan. So Jacob got prosperous. Uh, uh, Every time Laban changed the contract, Laban would get just a few animals. And so Laban's herds were not doing well. And Jacob's had expanded greatly. It says that he had uh, women and men that he hired on. He bought camels and bought donkeys in order to... Have them work their curds because they were so big. Uh, So now we switch to the third part of this, this epic with Jacob. And we read in chapter 31, Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what belonged to our father he has made all his wealth. Jacob saw the attitude of Laban and behold, it was not friendly toward him as formerly. I don't don't know what kind of bar Jacob has for friendliness, but uh, Laban Laban and his sons failed to meet at this time. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Back to promise one. And also bringing in the third promise. I will bring you back to the land. God's keeping his promises. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to his flock in the field and said to them, See, I see your father's attitude that it's not friendly toward me as formerly, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I served your father with all my strength. Yet your father's cheated me and changed my wages ten times. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. Uh, skipping down to verse 9. I already took it out of there. Oh, so I give them to me. Uh, God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. That pillar in Bethel, that was the pillar that Jacob set up when he as we learned last week, received a dream from God where those very promises were given. So God's connecting Jacob right back up to those promises and says, I'm bringing you back to the land of your birth. So Jacob's family and herds and workers and everybody pack up and leave without telling Laban. Several days later, Laban finds out and chases Jacob for seven days to catch up with him. So they're Just at the top border of Canaan, he catches up with him, and there's harsh words and flaring anger. Just before they meet, God appears to Laban in a dream and said to him, Be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, either good or bad. Sort of an idiom in the Old Testament to, to mean, Be real careful what you say. Uh, You know, don't bring any harm to him, don't mess with him, uh, you just be real careful. So when they met, Laban said to Jacob, What have you done by deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and deceive me and did not tell me so I might have sent you away with joy and with songs, with timbre and with lyre? Then Jacob became angry and tended with Laban. And Jacob said to Laban, What are my transgressions? What is the sin that you have hotly pursued me? These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten the rams of your flocks. That which was torn of beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. You required it of my hand, whether stolen by day, stolen by night. Uh, Thus it was, by day the heat consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep fled before my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been for me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. Probably true. God had seen my affliction and toil of my hands, so he rendered judgment last night. So here they were. God got Jacob and his family away from Laban's hometown. Laban has to chase them down. So here's, here they are in neutral territory, and they're eyeballing each other, and neither of them are very happy with each other. So Jacob's come to the end of his experience. He's sort of uh, at this angry standoff with Laban. What they finally do is agree to to go their separate ways. Laban, Laban first says, look, these women, these children, these flocks, they're all mine. And Jacob's saying, I'll let you give them a kiss goodbye and then we're gone. And they set up a pillar, a pillar at Mizpah. Uh, they call it because uh, what this pillar represents—the uh, agreement between them—is may the Lord watch between you and I, you and me, while we're apart from each other. Now, I've I've seen this little hearts with that on it. Uh, there's there's a picture uh, on uh, on the internet of a guy looking doe-eyed, holding this sign with that verse quoted on it. Probably something he shot then through Instagram to his girlfriend. Uh, I saw people who had, him, had it tattooed. Half on one arm, half on the other person's arm. Uh, this isn't a sentimental, oh, may the Lord watch between us. These are two adversaries saying, the Lord's watching. He's watching. When we're apart, he's watching you to make sure you don't come and harm me. And the other guy's saying, yeah, and he's watching you to make sure you don't come and harm me. And that's the context, that's the meaning of that oath, that, that challenge. So in summary, so here we have J- Jacob leaving, and even that wasn't easy. That was a challenge. And there's some other details in the story that we could go on with about this. But Jacob had this, this period with his family, marred by Laban, uh, Marred by, by problems with his beloved Rachel and between the women and in the family in general. He's, he had this period where we focused on his Bible, focused on his work those last six years and the problems he faced uh, season in, season out with Laban, the ways Laban tried to cheat him. And, and then we have this leaving where Laban, if, if Laban had knew they were going to try to leave. I'm not sure Jacob would have gotten out of there with his flocks. He may not have gotten out of there with his family either. Such was Laban's attitude. So in summary, Jacob experienced a pretty traumatic life with Laban. I was thinking about that promise God had. I will watch over you. And God certainly did that. He protected Jacob from a lot of things. But you know, if you look look at his life, uh, I think some of the things he went through with Laban were things that were transformational for Jacob. And we can't call those things, oh, God didn't really protect him well enough. If we look at a summary of Jacob's life, he sort of went from being a son, of having all the benefits of the firstborn. You remember, he got the birthright and he got the blessing. And if you remember, Isaac loved Esau, Rebekah loved Jacob. So he went from being loved and watched over by a mother to his time with Laban. He was an outsider, treated like a hired hand, certainly well below the status of Laban's sons, and living and working for someone looking to use him and cheat him. Jacob survived and prospered because of God and the promises God made to him. So we see him come out with... Uh, this family that God is going to use in history in the Jewish nation. Leah, whom Jacob did not love, was given the privilege of having, if you remember up there, her uh, fourth son, Judah, who becomes the one that carries the seed. He's the one from whom King David comes. And then the one through whom Christ comes. So uh, even the woman that he didn't love, that he didn't want, that he didn't want to work seven years for, uh, provided this wonderful, um, this wonderful benefit. So what does this story have for us? You know, it struck me, our lives have much the same kinds of things in them that this story had. There's a lot of times in my life, recent past, uh, certainly as I look over my life, too much conflict Too many unrealistic expectations uh, I felt put on me. Too much frustration. Too many people that you don't feel really care about you and don't treat you well. Certainly when you bring the whole area of work into it. Too much disappointment. Too often being insulted or put down or, or overlooked. Too many needs not met. Well, part of the good news today is that the promises given to Jacob have been given to us as well. This isn't just a story in the Old Testament. Say, yeah, what a a cool thing God did here in the Old Testament. These promises have been given to us as well. Let me start at the bottom. I will bring you back. Philippians, well, in John 14... Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Ephesians 3, that's up on the screen. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. Looking at the promise to Watch, I will watch over you. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. You know, we have a marvelous protector in the Lord. There was an interesting story that came out last year. It was a terrifying moment during a a Pirates-Braves spring training game last year when Danny Ortiz's bat accidentally went flying out of his hands. The bat soared into the crowd, straight toward the head of an unsuspecting child who was busy on his phone. Would have seriously injured him, too, if it were not for his father, Sean Cunningham. He said after after the incident, I was just protecting my son. There wasn't a lot of time to think about it. I just reacted. His wife also spoke about her husband's reaction. Thank God he has those reflexes, she said. Dad's really a hero in the eyes of our sons. Protection. We've got a God with marvelous reflexes that's with us. We don't have to fear. There's that other side of watching over. And we read about it in Hebrews. My son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are an illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we have earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seem best to them but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful yet to those who have been trained by it afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness those are some powerful words out of the book of hebrews there's that side of watching over us too there's a real controversial article about uh, a father. Some are calling him a hero for trying to get his son back on track. The father was outraged when he learned his teenage son had been abusive to females. There were also numerous instances of the child getting in trouble at school. So the father, concerned for his son and the choices he was making, gave him a haircut. a George Jefferson haircut (laughs) to remind him to straighten up. I don't know what else the father had tried, and many people were concerned about this as a form of discipline. But the point is that loving and watching out for someone may mean stepping in and bringing uncomfortable things into their lives. That's what Hebrews was, was trying to get at. This is watching out for someone as well. And God does that for us, too. He's watching out for us as well. And we need to be looking at our lives and asking as we go through it, what is there that God may be trying to teach us through this? I'm sure Jacob, in being forced to serve for seven years for Rachel, end up serving seven more years uh, That he had to learn some discipline. He talked about the fact that Lab was a hard taskmaster. Remember when he said, "I had to, I had to watch them during the day when the heat consumed me, and at night when the frost consumed me, sleep fled from my eyes." Because Jacob was bearing the cost of any loss. Uh, I think Jacob learned a lot of discipline there, a lot of hard work, a lot of humility. A lot of the good things that God looks for in us. And his goal is that we might share in his holiness. You know, that, that last one, uh, I will be with you. Uh, I just cite Hebrews chapter 13. Make sure your character is free from the love of money. Willie, this taps in a little bit to your question last hour in our Bible study of of um, how do we get ahead in the world if we're not looking out for number one and working hard there. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, make sure your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? You know, and that's part of the answer we kicked around in our Bible study as we were uh, talking with Willie. And if you remember, Jacob, after learning these hard lessons, came out of Padan Aram with massive flocks of sheep, in spite of everything that Laban did to try to rob him of that. Jacob said, "I dealt honestly with you. I took the loss." When, when there were problems in the herd. I acted honestly and honorably. And God rewarded that. God made things happen so that they worked out. Well, God's promises are true, and he keeps his promises. He kept them for Jacob, and he keeps them for us. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for this opportunity to share in your word. We pray that... Uh, We might remember your promises. I thank you that you're a God who looks out, takes care of us, both in protecting us and in giving us just what we need. Thank you in your name. Amen.